0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of pediatric femoral shaft fractures from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Femoral shaft fractures are one of the most common pediatric orthopedic fractures and are the most common reason for pediatric hospitalization due to orthopedic injury. Diagnosis is made with plain radiographs of the femur, Treatment may be Pavlik harness, spica casting, or operative depending on the fracture pattern and age of the patient. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, pediatric femoral shaft fractures make up 1.6 to 2% of all pediatric fractures. There is a bimodal distribution with an increased rate in toddlers aged 2 to 4 years and adolescents. Know that this is the most common reason for pediatric hospitalization due to orthopedic injury. In terms of demographics, pediatric femoral shaft fractures affect males more commonly than females in a 2.6 to 1 ratio. Moving on to etiology, with respect to pathophysiology, as far as mechanism of injury, a fall is the most common cause in patients less than 10 years old, while motor vehicle accident is the most common cause in patients greater than 10 years old. Note that the pathophysiology is correlated with age due to the increased thickness of the cortical shaft during skeletal growth and maturity. Now let's talk about some associated conditions with pediatric femoral shaft fractures. Know that high suspicion for child abuse is required. And know that abuse must be considered if the child is less than three years old, and especially if present in a patient before walking age. Femur fractures are one of the most common fractures associated with child abuse. And remember that transverse fractures are more predictive of non-accidental trauma compared to spiral or oblique fractures. Other associated conditions include hemodynamic instability, which should raise suspicion for associated injuries. And finally, medical conditions and comorbidities that may be associated with pediatric femoral shaft fractures include osteogenesis imperfecta, osteopenia secondary to neuromuscular disorders, as well as benign or malignant bone tumors. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. We'll go over osteology, muscles, and biomechanics. So in terms of the osteology of the femoral shaft, there is an anterior bow to the femur and know that the isthmus is the narrowest portion of the femur. As far as the muscles, the iliopsoas creates a flexion and external rotation force on the proximal fragment, while the adductors create a shortening and varus force on the distal fragment. In terms of biomechanics, the femoral shaft cortical diameter and cortical thickness increases with age. Moving on to the classification of pediatric femoral shaft fractures, this is a descriptive classification. So the characteristics of the fracture include transverse, comminuted, spiral, and others. Location of the fracture can be proximal, middle, or distal third, and the descriptive classification should also take into account the integrity of the soft tissue envelope, meaning open versus closed fracture. Another classification is based on the stability of femoral shaft fractures, that is whether stable or unstable fractures. Stable fractures are typically transverse or short oblique, while unstable fractures can be long spiral or comminuted. Long spiral fractures have a fracture length of greater than 2 times the bone diameter at that level. In terms of presentation of pediatric femoral shaft fractures, patients will typically have symptoms of thigh pain, inability to walk, as well as report of deformity or instability. Physical exam may reveal gross deformity, shortening, as well as swelling of the thigh. Moving on to imaging, radiographs include AP and lateral of the femur, as well as an ipsilateral AP and lateral of the knee and the hip. An AP and lateral of the femur will allow for complete evaluation of the fracture location, configuration, and amount of displacement and ipsilateral AP and lateral of the knee as well as the hip should be done to rule out associated injuries. Now let's talk about the treatment of pediatric femoral shaft fractures, which can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management can include a Pavlik harness, spica casting, or traction plus delayed spica casting. A pavlic harness is indicated in children less than six months old for any fracture pattern. Spica casting is indicated in children 0-5 to five years old and is relatively contraindicated with polytrauma, open fractures, and shortening greater than 2-3 to cm. Traction plus delayed spica casting is indicated for younger patients with significant shortening, however this is rarely utilized. Operative options for pediatric femoral shaft fractures include flexible intramedullary nails, submuscular bridge plate fixation, antegrade rigid intramedullary nail fixation, and external fixation. Flexible intramedullary nails are indicated for most length stable fracture patterns in children 5 to 11 years old weighing less than 49 kg or 100 pounds. Submuscular bridge plate fixation is indicated for unstable fractures in children greater than 5 years old and greater than 49 kg or 100 pounds. Submuscular bridge plate fixation is also indicated for very proximal or very distal fractures as well as in the setting of severe comminution. Antigrade rigid intramedullary nail fixation is indicated in patients greater than 11 years old or approaching skeletal maturity. It's also indicated for unstable fractures and fractures in patients weighing greater than 49 kilograms or 100 pounds. External fixation is indicated in the setting of damage control orthopedics in a polytrauma patient, open fractures, associated vascular injuries requiring revascularization, and segmental or significantly comminuted fractures. Now let's go over a treatment table by age. So in patients less than six months of age for any fracture pattern, you can treat these patients with a Pavlik harness or early spica casting. For patients that are six months to five years that have a stable fracture pattern, these patients are treated with early spica casting. For an unstable fracture pattern or polytrauma patients, as well as patients with multiple fractures or open fractures, these patients can be treated with traction with delayed spica casting or an external fixator. Patients that are 5-11 to 11 years old with length-stable fractures and are less than 49 kilograms can be treated with flexible titanium nails. Patients that have length-unstable fractures like a comminuted or spiral fracture, patients that have very proximal or distal fractures, and patients of any weight can be treated with RAF with submuscular bridge plating, stainless steel ender's nails, or external fixation. Patients greater than 11 years that weigh greater than 49 kilograms or 100 pounds should be treated with an anti-grade rigid intramedullary nail fixation. Patients greater than 11 years old that have proximal or distal fractures or severe comminution can be treated with ORIF with submuscular birch plating. Now let's go over some of these management techniques in a bit more detail. Starting with a Pavlik harness, this avoids the need for sedation or anesthesia. In terms of complications, note that the Pavlik harness can compress the femoral nerve if excessive hip flexion is used in the presence of a swollen thigh. This can be identified by decreased quadriceps function. Moving on to immediate spica casting, as far as the technique, this is applied with reduction under sedation or with general anesthesia. You can apply a single leg spica or a 1 and 1 half spica to control rotation. Know that distal femoral buckle fractures may be treated with a long leg cast alone and not a spica cast. So for patients that undergo spica casting, the hips are flexed 60-90 to degrees and approximately 30 degrees of abduction. External rotation is typically needed to correct a rotational deformity. The spica cast will be molded into recurvatum and valgus as the muscular forces will pull the fracture into procurvatum and varus. You will then mold along the distal femoral condyles and buttocks to help maintain reduction. Know that acceptable limits are based on age so the goal of reduction should include obtaining less than 10 degrees of coronal plane and less than 20 degrees of sagittal plane deformity with no more than 2 centimeters of shortening or 10 degrees of rotational malalignment. A special car seat is sometimes needed for transport. Know that you can often use a regular car seat if a single leg spica is used. Complications of spica casting include compartment syndrome, so be careful to apply with smooth contours in the popliteal fossa and do not flex the knee greater than 90 degrees and also avoid excessive traction. In terms of outcomes of spica casting, healing times vary from four to eight weeks based on age. Now let's talk about traction plus delayed spica casting. As far as the technique, traction pins are placed in the distal femur proximal to the distal femoral physis, and know that proximal tibial traction can cause recurvatum due to damage to the tibial tubercle apophysis. Traction is typically used for two to three weeks to allow early callus formation, and spica casting is then applied until fracture healing. Keep in mind that traction plus delayed spica casting has more complications than immediate spica casting, which is why it is rarely used. Moving on to flexible intramedullary nails, as far as the approach, you can use an all distal approach or a distal and proximal approach. So an all distal approach uses a two centimeter incision medially and laterally at the level of the distal physis. You will then spread with a hemostat to the starting point two centimeters proximal to the physis. As far as the distal and proximal approach, you will have a 2 cm incision laterally at the level of the distal physis, and a 2 cm incision proximally at the greater troche apophysis. In terms of instrumentation, the nail size is determined by multiplying the width of the isthmus of the femoral canal by 0.4. The goal is 80% canal fill. In terms of complications, the most common complication is pain at the insertion site near the knee. This is seen in up to 40% of patients, and know that it's recommended that less than 25 mm of nail protrusion and minimal bend of the nail outside of the femur are present. Know that flexible intramedullary nails have an increased rate of complications in patients 11 years or up or greater than 50 kilograms. Malunion is another potential complication which will have increased rates with comminuted, shortened, or very proximal-slash-distal fractures. As far as outcomes of flexible intramedullary nails, there are generally good outcomes, The time to union is typically 10-12 to weeks, and removal of the nail can be performed at one year. Moving on to submuscular bridge plate fixation, as far as the approach, you will have a laterally based incision and plating with minimal disruption of the soft tissue envelope. Note that small proximal and distal incisions and the plate is placed between the periosteum and the vastus lateralis on the lateral side of the femur. The fracture is provisionally reduced with closed or percutaneous techniques. In terms of instrumentation, you will typically use 12 to 16-hole 4.5mm narrow LCDC plates with 3 screws proximal and 3 screws distal to the fracture. The plate may need to be bent to accommodate the natural bend of the femur. Contoured femur plates are also an option. Complications include hardware removal as well as refracture following hardware removal. As far as outcomes of submuscular bridge plate fixation, there is a favorable time to union, weight bearing, hardware irritation, and limp outcomes. Moving on to antegrade rigid intramedullary nail fixation, the approach can be a trochanteric entry nail or a lateral entry nail. In terms of a lateral entry nail, be sure to avoid a piriformis entry due to risk of injury to the vascularity of the femoral head. As far as the soft tissues, you will make a lateral incision proximal to the greater trochanter, and then use sharp dissection or electrocautery through the lata to obtain a starting point at the tip of the greater trochanter. Keep in mind you can use closed versus open reduction techniques of the fracture. As far as instrumentation, with the fracture reduced, follow the steps to insert an intramedullary nail with caution to not cross the distal physis. As far as complications, osteonecrosis risk is 1-2% to with a piriformis start in a patient with open proximal physis. The exact risk of osteonecrosis with greater trochanter and lateral entry nails is unknown. Secondary deformities of the proximal femur can occur after greater trochanteric insertions. This can include narrowing of the femoral neck, Premature fusion of the greater trochanter apophysis, valga, and hip subluxation. As far as outcomes, there is a decreased risk of angular malunion and favorable outcomes in adolescence. Finally, moving on to external fixation, as far as the technique, an X fix is applied laterally to avoid disruption and scarring of the quadriceps. Note that 10 to 16 weeks of fixation is typically needed for solid union weight bearing. Weight bearing as tolerated can be considered with stiff constructs. In terms of complications of external fixation, there are more complications than with internal fixation. Pin tract infections are frequent and keep in mind that there can be as high as 50% of fixator-related complications. Pin tract infections are treated with oral antibiotics and pin site care. Note that there are higher rates of delayed union, non-union and malunion with external fixation and there's also an increased risk of refracture, specifically 1.5 to 21% after removal of the fixator, especially with virus malunion. Complications of pediatric femoral shaft fractures include leg length discrepancy, osteonecrosis of the femoral head, nonunion and malunion, and refracture. So in terms of leg length discrepancy, overgrowth is the most common complication in younger patients. 0.7 to 2 centimeters is common in patients less than 10 years old, and typically occurs within two years of injury. Shortening is acceptable if less than two to three centimeters because of anticipated overgrowth in young patients. This can be symptomatic if greater than two to three centimeters temporary traction or fixation is used to prevent persistent shortening. Osteonecrosis of the femoral head is reported with both piriformis and greater trochanteric entry nails. Femoral nailing through the piriformis fossa is contraindicated in adolescents with open physis because of the risk of osteonecrosis of the femoral head. Note that the main blood supply to the femoral head is the deep branch of the medial femoral circumflex artery. It branches into the superior retinacular vessels that supply the femoral head. However, keep in mind that this is vulnerable as it lies near the piriformis fossa. In terms of non-union and malunion, there is a higher risk with load-bearing devices, such as an external fixator or submuscular plates. This can occur after flexible intramedullary nailing in patients that are over 11 years old or those who weigh greater than 49 kilograms or greater than 108 pounds. The typical deformity is varus plus flexion of the distal fragment. Know that remodeling is greatest in the sagittal plane and rotational malalignment does not remodel. Nearly 50% of fractures treated with flexible nails have 15 degrees of malalignment. Finally, refracture is most common after external fixator removal with virus alignment. Now, let's end this review session talking about prognosis of pediatric femoral shaft fractures. Know that there is a high rate of fracture union if appropriate treatment is selected based on patient age and fracture pattern. As far as timing of surgical intervention, Early surgical intervention, which is defined as less than 24 to 48 hours of femur fractures in the setting of a closed head injury, leads to decreased lengths of hospital stay and is not associated with an increase in pulmonary complications. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. For which of the following patients is Pavlik Harness treatment appropriate? And the choices are one, four month old with a diaphyseal femur fracture and a neuromuscular disorder with lower extremity spasticity; two, four month old with a displaced spiral mid-diaphyseal femur fracture; three, four month old with a diaphyseal femur fracture and concomitant closed head injury and chest trauma; four, nine month old with a diaphyseal femur fracture with less than two centimeters of shortening; and five, nine month old with a diaphyseal femur fracture with greater than two centimeters of shortening. The correct answer to this question is two, four-month-old with a displaced spiral mid-diaphyseal femur fracture. So treatment with the Pavlik harness or spica cast are options for patients less than six months of age with diaphyseal femur fractures. Because of the significant remodeling potential and fast healing of diaphyseal femur fractures in children younger than six months, treatment focuses on providing comfort and avoiding complications. Pavlik harnesses provide adequate pain control for the short time required for healing in this age group. Similarly, spica casting results in stable union without long-term sequelae, but have a higher risk of minor skin complications. Pavlik harness treatment is therefore more often recommended for patients in this age group. Flynn et al. reviewed the management of pediatric femoral shaft fractures. They recommend that for children 6 months of age or younger, treatment with a Pavlik harness is preferred over a spica cast and can be supplemented with a simple splint, thereby avoiding the skin complications seen with spica casting. Coker et al. published the AOS Clinical Practice Guideline for the treatment of pediatric diaphyseal femur fractures. For diaphyseal femur fractures in children less than six months of age, they provide a grade C recommendation that Pavlik harness and spica casting are both acceptable treatment options. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, four month old with a diaphyseal femur fracture and a neuromuscular disorder with lower extremity spasticity is incorrect as Pavlik harnesses are not recommended for patients with neuromuscular disorders. Answer three, four-month-old with a diaphyseal femur fracture and concomitant closed head injury and chest trauma is incorrect, as Pavlik harness treatment is not recommended for polytrauma patients. Answer four, nine-month-old with a diaphyseal femur fracture with less than two centimeters of shortening. And answer five, nine-month-old with a diaphyseal femur fracture with greater than two centimeters of shortening are both incorrect, as children older than six months of age are more appropriately treated with modalities other than a Pavlik harness. Moving on to the next question, Submuscular bridge plating is appropriate treatment for which of the following? And the choices are one, a two-month-old female with displaced spiral mid-diaphyseal femur fracture; two, a 26-month-old boy with a displaced spiral mid-diaphyseal femur fracture with less than two centimeters of shortening; three, a seven-year-old boy with a transverse non-comminuted mid-diaphyseal femur fracture; four, a seven-year-old boy with a highly comminuted mid-diaphyseal femur fracture. And 5, a 15-year-old girl with a displaced butterfly-fragmented mid-diaphyseal femur fracture. The correct answer to this question is 4, a 7-year-old boy with a highly comminuted mid-diaphyseal femur fracture. So, submuscular bridge plating is appropriate for length-unstable femur fractures in skeletally immature patients aged 6 years and older. Traditional plating of diaphyseal femur fractures in children has been abandoned, due to the large incision and significant periosteal stripping involved. Submuscular plating with limited incisions and percutaneously applied fixation is a more biologically friendly way to achieve rigid internal fixation in length unstable fracture patterns. External fixation is another acceptable option for these fractures. Locked plating, on the other hand, provides an internal external fixator, avoids pin site issues, and allows rapid mobilization while providing a biologically favorable environment for healing. Coker et al. provide the AAOS clinical practice guideline for the treatment of pediatric diaphyseal femur fractures. They concluded that there was insufficient evidence regarding submuscular bridge plating to include it in the guideline. Flynn et al. review the management of pediatric femoral shaft fractures. They note that the narrow indications for plating of pediatric femoral fractures are open fractures, multitrauma, head injury, or compartment syndrome in patients less than 12 years old. Plating allows rigid fixation with readily available equipment and allows for rapid mobilization. Headquist et al. present a technical tricks paper in which they detail their surgical technique for submuscular bridge plating. They recommend this fixation strategy for patients between age 6 and skeletal maturity with comminuted diaphyseal femur fractures that are not easily treated by other methods. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, two-month-old female with a displaced spiral mid-diaphyseal femur fracture is incorrect, as children less than six months may be treated with spica casting or Pavlik harness. Pavlik is generally favored due to its ease of application and use and lower risk of skin complications. Answer two, a 26-month-old boy with a displaced spiral mid-diaphyseal femur fracture with less than two centimeters of shortening is incorrect, as this patient is most appropriately treated with spica casting. Answer three, a seven-year-old boy with a transverse non comminuted mid diaphyseal femur fracture is incorrect as length-stable fractures can be treated with flexible intramedullary nails. And finally, answer five, a 15-year-old girl with a displaced butterfly-fragmented mid-diaphysile femur fracture is incorrect as skeletally mature patients with mid-diaphysile femur fractures should be treated with rigid intramedullary nails. And moving on to the final question, titanium elastic nailing is appropriate treatment for which of the following? And the choices are 1. A 2-month-old female with a displaced spiral mid diaphyseal femur fracture. 2. A 26-month-old boy with a displaced spiral mid diaphyseal femur fracture with less than 2 centimeters of shortening. 3. A 10-year-old boy who weighs 35 kilograms with a highly comminuted diaphyseal femur fracture. 4. A 10-year-old boy who weighs 35 kilograms with a transverse mid diaphyseal femur fracture. And five, a 10-year-old boy who weighs 51 kilograms with a transverse mid-diaphyseal femur fracture. The correct answer to this question is four, a 10-year-old boy who weighs 35 kilograms with a transverse mid-diaphyseal femur fracture. Titanium elastic nailing is appropriate treatment for patients older than six years and less than 100 pounds with length stable, that is transverse or short oblique patterns of diaphyseal femoral fractures. Flexible intramedullary nails offer a treatment option for a large number of femoral shaft fractures in children. They can be used in open or closed fractures. Its use is limited in highly comminuted fractures due to their limited ability to maintain length. Biomechanically, they are also not a strong enough construct for heavier children. Coker et al. provide the AOS clinical practice guideline for the treatment of pediatric diaphyseal femur fractures. Their recommendation for diaphyseal femur fractures in patients aged 5 to 11 years is grade C, based on level three evidence. They state that flexible nails are an option for treatment of these fractures. They note that patients treated with flexible nails return to walking and school more rapidly compared to traction and casting, and that patients greater than 11 years old or greater than 49 kilograms have poor outcomes. Flynn et al. reviewed the management of pediatric femoral shaft fractures. They note that flexible intramedullary nails are the preferred implant for skeletally immature patients greater than 6 years old with transverse fractures in the middle 60% of the femur. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, a 2-month-old female with displaced, spiral, mid-diaphyseal femur fracture is incorrect as children less than 6 months may be treated with spica casting or Pavlik harness. Pavlik is generally favored due to its ease of application and use and lower risk of skin complications. Answer two, a 26-month-old boy with a displaced spiral mid-diaphyseal femur fracture with less than two centimeters of shortening is incorrect as this patient is most appropriately treated with spica casting. Answer three, a 10-year-old boy who weighs 35 kilograms with a highly comminuted diaphyseal femur fracture is incorrect as highly comminuted fracture patterns require length-stable fixation, that is plate, rigid nail, or external fixation. Finally, answer five, a 10-year-old boy who weighs 51 kilograms with a transverse mid-diaphysel femur fracture is incorrect as a weight over 49 kilograms is associated with a poor outcome, although this does not vary independently of age. That's all for this review about pediatric femoral shaft fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on OrthoBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.